Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and glad to have you along for the ride here on this Thursday edition of the broadcast. Of course, coming up later today, it's the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And I say later today, for those who haven't already heard it, if you have downloaded it already and you've had a chance to hear it, National Crawford Roundtable podcast airs on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and a bunch of other places. And we record it every weekday, or excuse me, every Wednesday, at 7.30 Pacific, uh, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. All of us are in different time zones, of course. And then we post it up. It goes up later that day, I believe. Um, Then the entire one-hour podcast is heard on our sister station here in Denver, um, and that would be KLZ, uh, where you hear John Rush and Rush to Reason weekday afternoons from 3 to 7. Uh, 6 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, you get to hear the entire one-hour podcast of the National Crawford Roundtable. And that's a good thing to listen to. We air the half-hour version, the terrestrial radio version, on all of our Bottom Line Show affiliates. Today, 4 o'clock Pacific, it's on uh, here on uh, uh, KBRT in Southern California. Our KLDC listeners get uh, best of material from us at that half-hour time. And then it's also on KLTT over the weekend, and just it's all over the place. But we're going to talk about a couple things on NCR today, and one I wanted to do a little setup for. Um, we're going to talk about monkeypox. And the uh, uh, the fact that it's being it's been named a pandemic again, it's a global, it's a world health crisis, whatever it is. And New York has declared a state of emergency. California has declared a state of emergency. Even though no one's died from monkeypox in the U.S., only four people have died nationally or internationally from it. And the number of infections is relatively small. I mean, tiny, tiny small. And pretty much isolated to one group, and that's men who have sex with other men. So why are, is this a big deal? Well, we're going to dig into the political ramifications of that. And the political posturing of the Democrat Party, which I think is important for us to acknowledge, at least. Uh, secondly, though, we're going to get into, uh, we do touch on this briefly in the podcast, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, who arrived in Taiwan late yesterday, met with Taiwanese leaders, then the president of Taiwan, and her decision to make this trip is getting mixed reviews. Some people are saying it's the right thing to do. The U.S. should be supporting Taiwan. She is the third highest ranking official in the United States. Remember, president of the United States is most important. Vice president, second most important. And then if either of those two are not able to fulfill their duties, the Speaker of the House becomes president. So Nancy Pelosi is the third most important person in the United States government. She's arguably the second most important woman in the world. Let that sink in for a moment. The fact that (laughs) this is how the Chinese do it. A lot of political, uh, what we call saber rattling going on right now. Democrats are thrilled that Nancy Pelosi is going to Taiwan. It's kind of uh, giving a a rather obscene gesture to the Chinese government. Um, China has responded by announcing that they will be conducting what they call, quote unquote, military exercises. that surround the island, it's going to be crazy. But what's interesting, though, is take a look at why she's there in the first place. Dr. Jim Dennison of the Dennison Forum is recovering from pretty major surgery, but he's still writing his usual 5, 10 articles a day at denisonforum.org. He provided some insight with regard to this trip, and I want to share it with you here, and we'll post it at thebottomlineshow.com because I think it's important to understand. It'd be really easy for us to fall into the two gutters. Gutter number one is Nancy Pelosi's a Democrat and we don't like her and, and she shouldn't be going and her husband's a criminal and blah, 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 blah. The second one is Nancy Pelosi's a god and, and I'm glad she's going because she's going to save the world just like she's saving America. Well, those are two extreme positions and I know they sound a little ridiculous. But is there reason to support her? I mean, and, and I think this is a fair question for us as Christians and conservatives to do so. Here's what Dr. Jim Dennison writes. He writes, my focus today is not on the politics of Nancy Pelosi's trip, but her stated reasons for going. Shortly after she landed, she said, quote, our congressional delegation's visit to Taiwan honors America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. America's solidarity with 23 million people of Taiwan is more important today than ever as the world faces a choice between autocracy and democracy. 
After she landed, an article she wrote for the Washington Post was released that further explained the reasons for her visit. In it, she detailed ongoing abuses by the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, and the brutal crackdown against Hong Kong's political freedoms and human rights cast the promises of one country, two systems into the dustbin. In Tibet, the CCP has long led a campaign to erase the Tibetan people's language, culture, religion, and identity. And Xinjiang, Beijing is perpetuating uh, genocide against Muslim Uyghurs and other minorities. And throughout the mainland, the CCP continues to target and arrest activists, religious freedom leaders, and others who dare to defy that regime. Now, Dr. Jim Dennison notes, she is right on all counts. Why are China's leaders acting in such a brutally oppressive manner? Why is this issue relevant to every American and especially every American Christian? Well, first and foremost, Dr. Dennison notes, China oppresses its citizens. He says, I was invited some years ago to deliver a series of lectures in Beijing. The leaders who attended asked me to focus on the subject of corruption in the business culture. I explained to them that this problem is a symptom of the Marxist worldview that dominates their society. The second paragraph of the CCP's constitution states, quote, that it takes Marxism-Leninism as its first guide. And they add Marxism-Leninism brings to light the laws governing the development of the history of human society and then claims, quote, its basic tenets are correct and have tremendous vitality. What does that mean in practical terms? Well, Dr. Dennison says, when I taught philosophy of religion in seminary, I taught a section on Marxism. There we discussed its foundational claim that individuals are most benefited when the state succeeds. The good of the state is the good of the people, and as a result, whatever serves the state is to be valued. This worldview rejects any religious or objective moral constraints. If advancing China means oppressing its citizens, threatening Taiwan, or stealing intellectual property from America, such immorality is actually embraced. If religious groups threaten the control of the ruling party, they must be oppressed or eliminated. China's communist rulers illustrate Speaker Pelosi's assertion, the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy. Well, taking it a step further then, Dr. Dennison challenges us and says, uh, if we take this action a step further, every soul faces the same choice. Autocracy, the rule of one, is appealing. So long as you get to be the one, of course. <laughs> the ideological belief that one person, in the case of China, it's President Xi Jinping, can rule a nation of 1.4 billion people, betrays a total denial of the biblical fact that, well, you know it, Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even President Jinping. One might think that any person's knowledge of their own failures and shortcomings would preclude such pridefulness, but one symptom of our fallenness is, quote, the will to power, Frederick Nietzsche so accurately described. He claimed every living thing does everything it can not to preserve itself, but to become more. To have and to want more growth, in one word, is life itself. Now, as C.S. Lewis explained in The Weight of Glory, democracy, the rule of the people, is therefore necessary because, quote, fallen men are so wicked that not one of them can be trusted with any irresponsible power over his fellows. It is true. As our Declaration of Independence even states, all men are created equal. But if you take a look at, uh, I mean, that goes back to Genesis when you get right down to it. I mean, the creation story. But then you jump ahead to Jeremiah 17, 9, and you say because of the fall of man, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So, Dr. Dennison concludes, the fallenness of humanity is the primary reason that I believe in democracy. It's why I believe America should support democracy wherever and however we can. However, my commitment to democracy contains the seeds of its own destruction. If one person cannot be trusted to rule others, uh, well, then a collective people cannot be trusted to rule themselves. As a result, the most foundational need we face is not defeating communist China or even advancing democracy, but facing that so-called will to power in our own souls. It's confessing our prideful rebellion against not just the state, but our creator to a savior who alone can forgive us and restore us to our father. Dr. Dennison writes, for Christians, it is confessing when we even use our faith as a means to our ends. Rest assured, I'm just as tempted as you are. I'm tempted right now to serve God by writing this daily article in the unstated hope that in doing so, I will impress you and thus serve, uh, serve myself. I'm tempted to serve in vocational ministry in the unstated hope that others will see me as, quote, a man of God and think more highly of me than they would otherwise. Every vocational minister faces the same temptations every day. But the good news is that our Father can mold us 
into the humble character of his son. If we admit our pride, he will forgive us. If we seek to humble ourselves, he will help us. You know, I, I appreciate what Dr. Dennison has written here and using the China example to bring us back to our own Christian faith. Whoever's going to win in November is going to win in November. Whatever Nancy Pelosi does, whatever the Democrats do, the Republicans do, Donald Trump does, whatever, it's going to happen. And I believe wholeheartedly, as I look back now with a certain measure of wisdom, finally, after all these years, I look at presidential elections and midterm elections a lot differently than I did when I was younger. When you're younger, you look at them and say, we've got to win. If our side doesn't win, we're in big trouble. Now I look at them and say, God, what are you doing? What would you have us do? And what are you telling us by the kind of leadership you're giving us? You know, you can go back and look anywhere from, say, Jimmy Carter on up and ask that very question. What kind of leadership did God believe that we needed? Carter, a great man of God, was a pretty bad president when he was in the White House. Now we have a rather romantic view of him, you know, that he's in his 90s and he and Rosalind are, you know, doing great ministry work. But when he was in the White House, he was kind of a disaster. Ronald Reagan, I think a better president. George H.W. Bush, not much. Bill Clinton, a little more pragmatic, but sort of progressive. George W. Bush, you know, the list goes on. But each and every time, if you don't ask the question, framing it in the way, well, who won? because of the way the elections were rigged or not rigged, and instead take a look at the elections and say, okay, what kind of leadership did God believe God believed that we needed? God believed. That's the real answer to the question to ask and answer. So why was it two terms of George W. Bush? Why was it two terms of Barack Obama? Why only one term of Donald Trump? Why even Donald Trump at all? And what's God telling us right now? We could see practically right in front of us, the diplomacy disasters of the current administration. We can read about and study, and God bless the people who are digging this up, all the election irregularities that happened in 2020. And heaven help us if something like that happens again in 2022. But brothers and sisters, if we take our eye off the ball as to why we're here, we're here to glorify God, to build his church, to do his will, And first and foremost, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing those new believers who hear it and receive it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. So I hope you'll tune in to uh, stick around with us four o'clock Pacific time for the first half of uh, the National Crawford Roundtable. But if for some reason you're not able to, um, or if you'd just like to hear the whole hour, I encourage you to go to uh, thebottomlineshow.com. We'll point the whole thing put the whole thing up there uh the video will be available after the broadcast today at myhopemow.com you can see all four of us uh in our early morning best talking about monkeypox and nancy pelosi and all sorts of things hey let's take a quick break and as we continue elijah is arguably the greatest prophet in the old testament and a spiritual hero to many but who exactly was elisha and why was it that he asked for and received a double blessing Uh, Pastor and author R.T. Kendall is going to join me on the other side of this break to talk about how he explains the life of Elisha in a brand new book of his called Double Anointing, Lessons to be Learned from Elisha. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we'll be giving away a copy at the end of the conversation. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. 
Well, very special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line. We're going to talk a little Old Testament. We're going to talk about uh, double anointings and uh, someone that we don't always talk about here on The Bottom Line show. Archie Kendall is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Dr. Kendall was pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England for 25 years. Uh, he's the author of more than 55 books, including Total Forgiveness, Holy Fire, and We've Never Been This Way Before. The new book that we're talking about is called Double Anointing. Lessons to be learned from Elisha. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. R.T. Kendall, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. Kind of you to have me. You have written so many different books over the years, and you've covered a lot of different topics. What led you at this point to spend time studying on and then writing about the life of Elisha? Well, the, the way it happens, it's not that spiritual. <laughs> I had written a book on Elijah. Uh, called These Are the Days of Elijah. And then while I was uh, in London several years ago, since leaving Westminster, uh, retiring, I preached every year uh, for Kensington Temple in London. Hmm. And I did a series of sermons on Elisha. And then uh, when I was invited to come back to the Cove this past uh, month, which is Billy Graham Training Center, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, it'd be fun to do a, a study on Elijah and Elisha. And I thought, I need to write a book on Elisha. So that's it. I, I've written a book on Elijah. I've written one on Elisha. And I called the Elisha book Double Anointing because, if you, you must know the story, Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion of his spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I called the book Double Anointing. I love that. And it's great because you, you bring up a very uh, valuable point, Dr. Kendall, in the fact that so many people do often do that. They'll say, OK, I know Elisha was basically kind of the successor to Elijah. And so everything that Elijah, such a huge imprint in Scripture and on the lives of believers for for generations, then Elisha is like kind of almost relegated, if you will, to that uh, uh, second in command thing. But uh, he had quite the phenomenal ministry in his own right. Talk about some of the highlights, if you would. Well, uh, Elisha was not a colorful, charismatic figure like Elijah. Elijah was, uh, his personality really came through. He wore his feelings on his sleeve. Uh, he got to know Elijah. Elisha uh, one of the double anointing, which is a very cheeky request. Mm -hmm. That's an English expression. Yeah. A lot of nerve. <laughs> and, you know, Elijah wasn't all that happy to give it to him because Elijah, I, in my opinion, thought to himself, oh, well, if you have double what I've got, that means you're going to be more famous than I am. Mm. I don't think Elijah liked that very much. That's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Elijah made it hard for Elisha to get it and said, well, here's the deal. I'm going to be taken to heaven. If you're looking at me at the moment, I'm taken to heaven. You can have it. Otherwise you don't. Well, hmm. Elisha did not take his face off Elijah. I mean, when Elijah tried to put obstacles in his way, said, hey, I'm going to Jericho. Elisha says, not unless you, I go with you. And he, Elisha was in Elijah's face. 60 seconds a minute, six hmm. minutes an hour, every hour until it happened. And lo and behold, when Elijah was taken up, Elisha was watching and he got it. So that's, hmm. that's the background. Yeah, I love it. Dr. Archie Kendall is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand new book, as we've been having this conversation so far, discussing the Old Testament prophet Elisha. Uh, the book is called Double Anointing, Lessons to be Learned from Elisha. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Kendall, um, there are some lessons, obviously, that uh, you have gleaned over the years from studying Elisha. And I'm, as I mentioned before, for many of us who are a little more uh, Elijah friendly as opposed to Elisha, not because of you know any sort of jealousy or rivalry, but rather just the way the stories are often presented from the pulpit and in Sunday school and things of that nature. Um, we're coming at Elisha's life in many cases, I think as Stuart Briscoe used to say, as part of the cleaner pages of the Old Testament that don't have a lot of notes on them. What have you uh, gleaned from your studies in the life of Elisha that have helped you personally in your life and your ministry? Well, I admire Elisha a lot. I really do. 
there are qualities in his life, his, his godliness, that you don't find in Elijah. That's my opinion. You can ask me about that if we've got the time. Sure. Uh, but here's one lesson to be learned. Having double anointing doesn't mean you're going to have more fame. Uh, as a matter of fact, Elisha may have thought that he's going to be taken to heaven as well as Elijah. If Elijah hmm. is taken to heaven with his anointing, how much more would a double anointing take Elisha to heaven? But you know what? Elisha died not only a natural death, but a disappointed man. The last thing he tried to accomplish failed. And I think Elisha died a disappointed man. Uh, and as for the double anointing, there's two ways to figure it. The most popular way, and, and I suppose the main way, would be count the number of miracles. Hmm. You can come up with around seven with Elijah and perhaps 14 with Elisha, so that the double anointing would refer to quantity rather than quality. That said, there are two or three miracles of Elisha that seem to me to be even more outstanding, unusual, extraordinary than Elijah's, except for the calling the fire down on Mount mm -hmm. uh, Carmel. I don't think that was ever surpassed. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a query. What was the double anointing? But I've given you as quickly as I could what I think it must be. Well, you know, that, that's an, it's an interesting point because I think our human finite brains have a tendency to think that quantity is better than quality because even if it isn't up to par in quality, we make up for it in quantity. And maybe that's the reason why, you know, the Apostle Paul starts talking about shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound because, well, if we get more of God's grace when we sin, doesn't our rational mind say that would make more sense? But what, what, why do you think it is that we are, as human beings, are driven that way, Dr. R.T. Kendall, that we, we seem to say, I don't care if the quality isn't that good, just give me a whole lot of it. By the way, if you want to call me Dr. Kendall, if that makes you feel better, my friends call me RT. Okay. Hey, look here. I make my wife call me Dr. Kendall. <laughs> I need to keep her in place. Yeah, okay. You know, okay. Don't want her to take too much for granted. <laughs> no, uh, I love that. That's fine. But, but you, I mean, my friends call me RT. That's up to you. Okay. Okay. What was the question? Uh, the question was about the quantity versus quality issue and the, the, you know, our, our natural tendencies and, and why you, you know, in your opinion, uh, the, the issue of, uh, uh, why were we just seem to be drawn to that? Well, I'll be honest. I'll be as candid and vulnerable as they come. I have prayed for a double anointing for at least 30 years. I mean, daily. I reckon if Elisha could ask for it, so could I. In other words, a double anointing, let's put it this way. I'd like to have twice what I've got. Now, what that would amount to, I'm, I'm an old man now. I don't think I'm going to live to 160. <laughs> I'm 87 years old. How good for you. But, you know, there's a verse in uh, is it Isaiah 61. I'll give you double. Uh, and I, I, I take that to be a good biblical basis that you can ask. I mean, James said you have not because you ask not. Yes. Amen. So it doesn't hurt to ask. Sure. If God withholds what I want. Uh, he knows what is best. And I would say that if he did withholds it, it's because I would probably take myself too seriously. It would go to my head. I don't know how one could cope with that much anointing and power. And so I can only say God knows what we need. And I live by this Psalm 84 verse 11. No good thing will he withhold. Amen. from them that walk rightly rightly so you know jesus said in uh luke 18 keep asking until you get a no well mm. god hasn't said no yet right. so i'll keep asking that's a great uh, counsel so that, that's my wish i would love and I'm, I'm thinking of quality i would love to know the bible twice as well as i do mm. Mm. And I'd love twice the power to preach it. But what, are, what, what is my motive? Is my motive 
for his honor and glory? I'd like to think so. And so to protect myself from elbowing in on his glory, I do say, I promise you, I do say, only if it will bring you double, double glory. If not, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm not asking it for me. But if this will give you more honor and glory, then do it. Mm. And so far he hasn't. Mm -hmm. I'm 87. <laughs> I mean, I'm not planning to die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I've told you more than you wanted to know. <laughs> no, it's a good answer. It really is. Archie Kendall's new book is called Double Anointing lessons to be learned from Elisha. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. So great to have pastor and author Dr. R.T. Kendall with us today uh, to talk about the life lessons learned from Elisha. That's E-L-I-S-H-A, uh, not to be confused with Elijah, his uh, mentor, if you will. Um, obviously, Elijah was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Uh, he also had a human streak, as it were, and uh, his mentee, if you will, was Elisha. Elijah, pretty colorful, kind of out there. Elisha was rather colorless. Oftentimes, we don't think about the way God used the ministry of the of the work of Elisha to bring about his kingdom, because at the end of the day, oftentimes we go back and go, yeah, that's the double portion guy. Other than that, we don't really know a whole lot about him. I'm grateful that Dr. R.T. Kendall has written a book about Elisha that gives us a better frame of reference. And if you feel like you're kind of uh, serving in the shadows right now and uh, wondering if God is using you, this is a great reminder of how God uses those who don't always get the big headlines, but continues to minister through us. The book is called Double Anointing, Lessons to be Learned from Elisha by R.T. Kendall. There's a link at thebottomlineshow.com and we are giving away a copy today at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break and on the other side of this break, uh, we'll come back with more of the conversation with Pastor R.T. Kendall about the book about Elisha. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law has a reputation for excellence, not just among previous clients, but also among colleagues. I'm an attorney. I've had clients that have issues in the area that Stephanie works in, and she's my first referral source. First of all, the area that she works in is an area where it's not that easy to find attorneys that I feel comfortable with. I think she has a lot of empathy, which helps because sometimes we attorneys don't have as much as we should have. She's extremely detail-oriented. She's very conscientious and just does a really kind of exceptional, almost overboard job in, in preparing cases. I've never had anybody come back with any negative comments. Everybody's been very happy with, you know, her professionalism and the way that she approaches cases. Choose the personal injury attorney with personal integrity, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law, 877-214-4935. Pastor Archie Kendall is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. You'll find his brand new book linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Double Anointing, Lessons to be Learned from Elisha, a great Old Testament study here. Uh, Archie, since yeah. we're friends now and we're on a first name basis. Oh, that's better. There you go. You have, having studied, we talked a little bit about the, the miracles and of Elijah and how Elijah, you know, performed one of the miracle of all miracles uh, uh, with the prophets of Baal. But Elisha was a, a bit of a miracle worker in his own right, too. Do you rank them at all in terms of Elisha's? Were any of them, you know, standing out to you more than any other? The miracles of Elisha? Yes. There are two or three. It, it, the one where he promised how much something would be worth within 24 hours. There's no way that could happen. And it was, and it happened. Mm. I think my favorite story is when the servant girl in Syria who worked for Naaman, uh, this general of Syria who had leprosy, mm -hmm. she said, if only the servant of God in Israel uh, could heal my master. And if somehow you could get to Israel, Okay, he makes his way to Israel. He finds Elisha, and it, it, it's good that he found him. He thinks because he's a general, he's wealthy, he's famous, he's very important, that Elijah will come out and be honored to meet him. It's kind of like when Nicodemus came to Jesus. I think 
I think Nicodemus mm. expected special treatment. Right. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, Elisha doesn't even come out to see uh, Naaman. He just tells his messenger, <laughs> go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Well, the general's mad. He's angry. First of all, he doesn't come to meet me. He wants me to do a silly thing like that. But then Naaman's servant says, but if he'd asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? What if he asked for money? You brought a lot of money. You'd mm -hmm. have given it to him. He just says, go dip seven times. Naaman felt like a fool. And the sixth time, he was no better. He does it one more time. His skin is white as snow. I mean, it's just like a child, brother. And, uh, but that's not the end of the story. He goes to see Elijah, who does meet him. He's so grateful. He is so grateful. And he begs him to take money. Elijah won't take a penny. But here's the, the brilliance of Elijah. After it's all over, the little servant of Elisha, Elijah, no, Elisha. Elisha, yeah. I'm always getting mixed up. <laughs> uh, Gehazi, when he thinks Elisha won't find out, stupid of him, he, he's a fool, thinks he can get away with it. He goes to Naaman on his way back to Syria. Wait, 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 stop. My servant has changed his mind. He will take some money. And Naaman says, sure, how much you want? What do you want? And so Gehazi gets money from him and stuff. Elisha picks up on it at once and rebukes Gehazi, and he's now struck with leprosy. But that's not the end of the story. What I don't know if anybody's noticed before, maybe everybody has, and it's this. You would think that Elisha would tell Gehazi, you go back to Naaman and tell him that's your idea, not mine, to ask for money. But you know what? Elisha didn't bother to clear his name. So here is Naaman going back to Syria, thinking he's given Elisha money. You'd hmm. think that Elisha would want to clear his name. That, no, I didn't ask for money. He doesn't bother. He doesn't bother. To me, that is brilliant. That is profound. Elisha knows God knows, mm -hmm. and it, it coheres with that verse Jesus gave to the Pharisees. How can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? And uh, in other words, where well, we just want the honor of God. And rather than Elisha clear his name with Elisha, I mean, with, <laughs> there I go again. Rather than Elisha clear his name with Naaman, he doesn't bother to tell Gehazi, go back and tell him the truth. He lets him think the worst. And I think it's a lesson for all of us when people think things about us or say things that are not very flattering. So many of us want to clear our name, set the record straight. I didn't say that. Here's what I said. And we're so anxious to make ourselves look good. You know what? It's all going to come out in heaven. Yes. And I think it gives God more honor to wait till then. Uh, but that's something I pick up. But there are, you know, 14 stories of Elisha. Ask me about any one of them, but that's kind of my favorite. Mm, it sounds like it. Artie Kendall, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Double Anointing. Uh, lessons to be learned from Elisha. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. RT, there's got to be one piece of this book that is the most important part to you that you're hoping that your readers will pick up on. What, what is that point? Here is perhaps the most amazing. It's Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 7. When Elisha says, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be showed for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, at the moment, everything was 10 times more expensive than that. Mm -hmm. Everything. I mean, they were out of food. They were out of water. Uh, they were eating everything and paying for it. Uh, pigeon dung. I mean, it, was, it couldn't be worse. And then Elisha comes along and gives a prophecy. And so... Uh, the man says back, 
if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And then Elisha says, you're going to see it, but you're not going to get to have one bit of it. Hmm. You won't eat a bit of it. And lo and behold, it's a long story how it happens. And it's, it, I think more time it's going to take for, on this program to give you all the details. But it's in 2 Kings 7. And lo and behold, nobody could ever figure out how that could be prophesied. But it is fulfilled exactly as he did. And then he, uh, the prophecy is fulfilled where he says, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And it happened. And the people trampled on him at the gate and he died. Hmm. Here's the way I compare this. And I think this is very, very, very important. People ask the question, how will God clear his name at the judgment? They all ask, how could a God of mercy, a God of justice, allow evil in the world? I remember years ago, a famous pastor in Kentucky, uh, because his daughter died of leukemia, said publicly, God has a lot to answer for. He owes us an apology. Well, this is the way the world feels. They want to say, how, how, how can God do this? I answer, one day, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 said it, one day God will clear his name. There is no way you can figure out how he's going to do it. There's no way we can come up with it. And when he does it, when he does it, we will say, huh. And the most brilliant mind will say, I didn't think of that. Mm. It's hidden. Mm. It's yeah. hidden. And, and I compare that to this miracle of Elisha. Uh, no way could that be fulfilled, but it was perfectly fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And you think, who could have thought it? Only the Holy Spirit could reveal something like that to Elisha. And this to say nothing of raising somebody from the dead. He did a son just like Elijah had done. Uh, but the providence of God in the life of Elisha, he does silly things like having an axe head float in the water. Mm -hmm. People say, why do that? Or why would God waste his time with a silly miracle like that? And I say, God asks us to, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Yeah. He cares about anything that concerns us. And so Elisha shows that sort of thing. Uh, I can't say where I prefer Elisha over Elijah. I love them both. Uh, but Elisha is very, very interesting, and most people don't know much about him. And if my book can encourage people to read Two Kings and find out more about Elisha. And one other thing, the double anointing didn't guarantee that they would remember Elisha. Mm. You see, Elisha dies, and you never hear of him again. He's the one that had the double anointing. About the end of the Old Testament, Malachi talks about Elijah coming, John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah, right. Mount Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah uh, at the crucifixion when he, Jesus cries up, Eloi, Eloi, Sama Sabach, Lama Sabachthani. They said he's calling for Elijah. In other words, they still remembered Elijah. And so I would say to anybody, uh, don't think if you get a double anointing, you're going to be twice as remembered because they might forget you. Mm. Powerful words of wisdom from Dr. R.T. Kendall today here on The Bottom Line. Double Anointing is the book, Lessons to be Learned from Elisha. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. R.T., great to get to spend some time with you today. Thank you for the book, and thanks for the conversation today here on The Bottom Line Show. You honor me. Thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. A great conversation with pastor and author, Dr. R.T. Kendall. Today here on The Bottom Line, the book is called Double Anointing, Lessons to be Learned from Elisha. And we do have a book, a copy to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the Bottom Line Show. We have one copy of the book. Teresa's holding on to it right now, and I encourage you to give her a call and get a copy of this book. Uh, th as you're getting ready to uh, get into your fall programs to get to church, why not do a Bible study on Elisha? And the, notice I didn't say the book of Elisha, uh, but the word of Elisha. Uh, 
That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, encouraging you to give Teresa a call at 800-227-5278. We're giving away a copy of the uh, uh, book called Double Blessing, uh, the fascinating look by Dr. R.T. Kendall at the life of Elisha. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. I'm sorry, I said double blessing. It's actually doubling, double anointing. Uh, very famous uh, passage in scripture where Elisha asked for that. Uh, we've got one copy of the book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember about a month and a half ago, it was the 24th of June, 2022, the day that the left lost its mind because Dobbs versus Jackson in the state of Mississippi was upheld by the Supreme Court. And in doing so in their decision, they upheld Mississippi's ban on abortions after 15 weeks. There still was an exemption for uh, rape and incest or if the mother's health was in danger. But as you've heard here on the Bottom Line Show, and even places like the Guttmacher Institute freely acknowledge that about 1% of abortions happen because of rape or incest. Uh, my uh, Dr. Ingrid Skop, who was with me a couple of weeks ago from the Charlotte Lozier Institute, uh, telling us that the statistics actually look more like this. 97% of abortions are not because of rape, incest, or because the mother's health was at risk. And a lot of times when the mother's health is at risk, they can, as she said, separate the baby from the mother by taking the child early and kids who are being born at 21 weeks gestation, 22 weeks gestation, that's literally halfway through pregnancy, are now surviving and living. Um, 97% of abortions, says she, are because of a woman saying, I just don't want to be pregnant. There might be a financial hardship, but more and more pregnancy resource centers, you know, the ones that Elizabeth Warren's trying to close in Massachusetts because they're not licensed. Um, those are those, they outnumber abortion clinics by a factor of three to four to 10 to one, they're doing way more work for the sanctity of human life than the abortion clinics are. And yet the media will forever portray the abortion clinics as quote unquote healthcare centers and the unlicensed crisis pregnancy centers as uh, scam artists, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things you heard, though, on the left was this is the end of women's rights because Roe versus Wade has been overturned. But one of the things you heard from conservatives is what the Supreme Court decision did was not to ban abortion. It was literally to make this a state's issue yet again. And at the time, the pro-abortion Guttmacher Institute uh, an- assessed that based on the state laws that they had seen, there would be 26 states in the U.S. that would have some kind of ban on abortion. It wouldn't completely ban it, but there would be some kind of restriction. For example, if a state has a ban like Mississippi did at 15 weeks, that's considered now a pro-life state with a quote-unquote ban on abortion. This is a hallmark of progressive ideology. Progressive ideology is I get everything I want all the time, but then I tell you I'm welcoming and I'm inclusive and we can all get along. That's not true. You can't be welcoming to somebody if you reject their ideas because they don't line up with yours. That's just a lie. And the the idea that the left is saying, well, when it comes to the elections and stuff like that, the Trump people are deniers and liars, but we're the truth tellers and we're the inclusive ones. That's not true. The big lie is that nobody lies. I mean, let's let's be real. And when it comes to the abortion argument, the pro-abortion crowd has become so progressive that basically what they're saying is we want to be able to kill that child up until labor and delivery. Heck, we want to be able to kill that child four weeks after the baby's born and not have to face any repercussions. That's their idea of inclusivity. And if you want to be welcomed into their group, you have to believe in everything they say. Pro-lifers who really pay attention to the law. And I say that in all love and respect. I know a lot of pro-lifers who said, yeah, we got rid of Roe versus Wade. No more abortion in America. That's not true. Getting rid of Roe versus Wade meant there was no more federal law that was perceived as a constitutional right that protected states from having you know, abortion laws or not. What it meant was that all 50 states and the District of Columbia would now have to pass their own laws if they hadn't passed those laws already as to whether or not abortion would be legal. So it I kind of maybe chuckle a little bit when I hear progressives go, oh, no, the, the women, the guns have more rights than people, and uh, my grandmother had more rights than I do. No, that's not. 
Come on, guys, that's not true. I mean, by conservative estimates, 87% of the women who still want an abortion in the U.S. can find a way to get an abortion, either through a state that's already passed a bill or through the new telemed type of phenomenon over the past four or five years where you use an abortion pill, two-step pill. The first one starves the baby, and the second one forces the mother to abort the child, to, 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 to discharge the child. That, that's the two-step pill. They make it look like, hey, got a little crazy? Now, well, plan B, just take a pill. It's no big deal. It all goes away. No, it doesn't. The human being growing inside your womb starves to death with the first dose of the pill. That's what happens. And then the second pill you take, you've got to do something with the body. Death, if you marketed the quote-unquote morning after abortion pill to people, I don't think they would look at it differently. I know people who've, who've had that experience in their family going, well, I took the pill because, I mean, I didn't know. And now all of a sudden they're like, wait, what happened to me? Remember the way Abby Johnson's... Uh, is portrayed in the movie Unplanned? How many women just don't know? And it's just, it's so wrong. These women are being lied to about what's happening in their bodies. They don't get to see the ultrasound. They, they don't know. They're not being told what's happening here. They're being told that there's a, some kind of fetal tissue in here, but taking this pill will make it all better. And that's not true. But the beauty of the passage of the overturning of Roe versus Wade is now it becomes a state's issue, and we're watching states one by one. Indiana just had a, a measure come up in their primary where they've made the state, basically it's going to eliminate all abortions in the Hoosier state, and I think that's wonderful. But at the same time, you know, Breitbart is reporting, well, the pro-life movement suffered a defeat in Kansas during the primaries on Tuesday. And I'm asking myself the question, well, what was the defeat? Okay. In Kansas, Kansas already has a law that protects quote-unquote abortion rights that has been voted on in their state constitution. It's been there for quite some time. Kansas, one of the states that actually passed a measure that said, here's the deal. Uh, We think that this should be part of our state constitution. They went to the voters and the voters voted and said, yes, we agree that this should be an amendment, amendment to the state constitution. And so that's been the law in Kansas. Now, here's the thing about Kansas. The Kansas law that added abortion to the Constitution passed the HCR 5003, passed on January 22nd, 2021. Ironically, they they called this bill the Value Them Both Amendment. Six days later, the Kansas Senate passed the amendment, and so... They then put this on the ballot that said, okay, we, we think this should be in the, uh, whatever, on the state constitution. Here's what's interesting about this. When it comes to these measures, and this is where I, I, I've, I tell you, I tell you, this is one of the things that uh, the, the left does so much better than the right. And um, it's amazing. When this bill passed, and it was actually added to um, the uh, the Constitution, the abortion uh, ad- addition uh, went to uh, a court in 2015. It was passed in 2019, and then the value of the bill was passed in 2021. They keep talking about preserving abortion rights. They'll talk about how like gay marriage has always been here, or abortion has always been the law of the land, and that's simply not true. But because they're bold enough to make that assertion, then it's treated as such. So Kansas voters had a a bill that was on, a measure that was on their bill uh, for voting at the primaries this past week. This Tuesday was a Super Tuesday in Kansas. And so they were voting for who's going to be governor and senator, this, that, and the other thing. But (laughs) um, Kansans had the opportunity to vote as to whether or not to remove that provision from the Constitution, or whether or not they would remove it. So when the votes have been counted, the original 76% of the precincts are reporting that the no votes to keep abortion rights in place beat the yes votes. It was 37.7% said that the Kansas Constitution should be amended to remove that provision. 62.2% said that they should stay. Now, what's interesting about this, it's the first time anywhere in the U.S. that voters could have voted on abortion since Roe versus Wade went. 
Uh, this is how um, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> according to Elizabeth Warren, Democratic senator from Massachusetts, this is huge. Abortion rights were on the ballot for the first time since Roe, and the people of Kansas voted to preserve access. I'm grateful down to my toes for anyone who stopped this dangerous ballot measure in its tracks. Perhaps she should be uh, uh, more concerned with the fact that she has toes that she can still feel. According to Olivia Giuliana, who tweeted out, Americans across the country raised $2 million in one week for abortion rights to stand up to a Republican congressman. Kansas just overwhelmingly voted to protect access to abortion. If abortion isn't at the top of your campaign list, you need to reevaluate. That may or may not be true. But in one ballot measure, it's appeared that... uh, uh, (laughs) It appears that uh, Kansas voters have spoken, and I think they have every right to speak. Now, whether or not that's going to stay remains to be seen. I'll explain why coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls on R.T. Kendall's book about Elijah and uh, the double anointing. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Earlier, we were talking about the Kansas bill that uh, went down to defeat in the primaries on Tuesday. I mentioned that it's called the value them both bill. I honestly thought the bill was written by some pro-choicers going, what do you mean value them both if you want to kill one of them? Uh, it was pro-lifers who put the, ba- the ballot uh, measure on the ballot, and it did not pass. Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch tweeted this out. The good news is that the Kansas Constitution does not actually protect the killing of unborn human beings. It's only an activist state Supreme Court that abusively pretends that it does. So I'm sure there will be challenges in court to this. But nonetheless, and the fact that anytime you see... Uh, it's a red state. It's a very conservative state. Kansas is. It's a very pro-life state. So how Democrats turned out in mass to beat it by a measure of two to one? Well, I'm sure there'll be demands for recounts and things of that nature. But rest assured, it appears that Democrats are going to be animated by abortion as a fundamental human right that uh, needs to you know, be addressed. You'll see Proposition 1 here in the People's Republic of California more than likely pass, even though California is already the most abortion-friendly state. The name of the game, though, brothers and sisters, is if you are not registered to vote yet, you need to get registered to vote. The uh, midterm elections are coming up November 8th. Early voting starts in early October. And I commend it to you going to thebottomlineshow.com so you can make sure that you are fully registered and ready to participate in uh, said action. For our KCBC crowd, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, We've got uh, Rabbi Schneider coming up next. For those who remain on the network, coming up next, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast as the bottom line continues.